I am so blessed to be able to stand here and continue this sermon series on um, how we share our faith, how we understand our faith even, because part of where we struggle in sharing our faith is in even understanding our faith. C.S. Lewis says that if you understand something but you can't explain it to a child, you don't yet understand it. And, uh, and as a pastor, um, I started off young and uh, I was a young pastor and I had these youth around me and I'm explaining the Bible to youth and uh, as, as Victoria will, will note, there were days where she's just like, you don't make any sense right now. <laughs> because what I discovered was I don't understand it as succinctly as I thought I did. And so, and so we would, uh, we, we journeyed through years together and, and, we, and we understand God more clearly as we continue to have conversations that push us, as we continue to have conversations that say, what do you actually mean by that? Sometimes some of the best discipleship moments you will have are moments where the Holy Spirit takes you puts you in a conversation with an unchurched person, and that unchurched person starts asking you questions that scare you, that make you go, I don't know what to say here. I don't know, what, I don't know how to answer that question. Or they make you, or they go, you go home and you're just like, nope, that was a really good question. I don't know. And, and these questions are not bad things. These questions are, are pieces that the Holy Spirit uses to grow and develop you personally. So right off the start, I want to encourage people to have conversations with non-church goers because the type of conversation you have with a non-church goer is very different than the type of conversation you have with a person who you assume believes all the exact same things as you do. And so very, very helpful. And I just really want to encourage it. That's what this is about. This is not even necessarily about like, oh, we're going to convert everybody. Although I do believe that God is going to use Promise Church to lead hundreds of people to Jesus. I actually believe that. But it's not just that. It's about this is how God disciples us. This is how one of the ways, one of the mechanisms God uses to define us as Christians is us having challenging conversations with people who don't think the exact same way we do. And, uh, and then we, we go home and we're like, how do I even deal with that? And then you have that moment. I don't know if I, I think everybody has this moment where you have that moment where you're like, oh, I should have said this. And then you've got like the perfect answer because like it resolved in your own brain and you're like, I've got this. And then you're like, how do I recreate that moment to get back to that question with that person? Because now I can answer it. Maybe that's just, you know, me. But I think that happens to more people than just that. Um, so last week you got, a, uh, you got the, the first step of this idea of napkin conversation. And I got pretty excited when I got talking about um, God's side of the story. But the way we're thinking about the this, just to be clear, is when we're talking to somebody of a different faith or of no faith whatsoever, we want to start by listening. Listening is where we start. We can ask questions about God and we can ask lots of things, but we want to listen because when we listen, we hear 
the narrative of that person. It's listening without correcting. Their story is their story. When we respect that, when we respect their understanding, their story, their attempts to meet with God, their, their values, when we respect that, when we listen to it, we're then able to grow in our own worldview, and we're also able to actually care. And that really matters because Jesus, one of the, one of the common phrases about Jesus when he was dealing with people is it keeps on saying again and again and again, and he had compassion on them. Compassion doesn't come out of an agenda. Compassion comes out of knowing where somebody is and actually engaging with them. And so I want to, I want to just encourage us as a congregation to be willing to listen. The second thing we do is we focus on telling God's story. We, we don't tell their story. We don't try to correct their story. That, that's, not, that's not helpful. If somebody were to try to correct your story, you would be like, uh, no. So we're not touching that. What we focus on is we say, and God has a story. This is God's story, and I just want to tell you God's story. What that person does with it, that's between them and what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so we tell God's story, and that is super exciting because God's story is powerful. Last week, we did five words. Jesus is God with us as the foundation of God's story. And I got super excited about that, and uh, and and. It's because it's worth being excited about. God has spent thousands of years. He has invested great energy to be able to stand recognized as God beside another human as a human to build relationship, to bridge the divide between the divine, which is unknowable from our perspective, and humanity. And God said, because I'm unknown, unknowable in my infinite being, I will reveal myself and prepare humans, these people, to receive me as a person, to be recognized, to walk among them, and to live with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people, and I will write my laws on their heart. And it's just this massive promise where God's like, I will make all things right, and I will be with them. And so that's what our church is based on, the promise of God. And so we tell God's story. Um, the Jesus is God's, God with us actually comes from a, uh, a, a great pastor here in Ontario named Bruxy Cavey. He's the lead pastor of the Meeting House. He was also one of my professors for my, uh, when I was doing my degree. And, uh, and he was teaching a mission and evangelism course. And his text for the course was uh, a book that he wrote called Reunion. Now, I don't often book plug. This is probably my second book plug since I've started. Uh, it might be my third. Someone just said three. Um, but this book is a worthwhile read. I'm going to fly through some of the content in today's message, um, but this is a worthwhile read. Uh, what, what Bruxy has done here is he's taken a very complex idea of the gospel and he's brought it into one word, five words, and then 30 words. Today we're throwing, we're going to go through the 30 words. 
Today, if you have any text messages, questions, whatever, you can text message using your tablet um, at the bottom of the today's message. Um, and that's the pink screen. And, uh, and you can you can just text something in and I will have time to get the text messages. One of the text messages that came in last week is going to be dealt with in today's service and so uh, I just didn't have time last week to be able to get to them. So we want, we want to encourage that. Um, okay, so let's get right into it because uh, we don't have a heck of a lot of time. But this is, this is the full, the, the like, okay, we're, we're touching on major theological points and foundations of what Christianity is here. And this is something that, that if we can remember this, these things, these symbols pack into simple ideas that we can then unpack and reconstruct some of the major tenets of our faith. And, uh, and it's very, very helpful. So the 30 words are, Jesus is God with us, which is what we did last week. Come to, show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, and shut down religion so we can share in God's life. It is actually 30 words. And so this is very, um, it's very important. And, and it's really interesting that there was a couple ones that when I was going through the course, I was a little concerned of like the shut down religion. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? And I love the way that he's understanding it. I love what's happening there. And we talked a little bit about uh, how religion doesn't actually, religion is a human activity that's trying to bridge the divide between God and the divine. All religions are the exact same thing. That's the human activity to try to reach to God. And, uh, and, and Bruxy says that when God comes down as human, God does what humans could not do and reaches to us and says, this is the only way we will have contact with God is by God's initiation. Um, St. Augustine stands behind that. I've mentioned it before, but it's good to repeat. St. Augustine affirms that God is the primary mover. He is the first one to initiate relationship in any single one of us. It was God's work first and then us. And so Bruxy's like, when we try to reestablish religion that's going to reach to God, God's like, that's not helping. I already did what it took. Your religion's not helping because I am here with you, first in the person of Jesus and then in the person of the Holy Spirit with us. So let's, uh, let's go through this. Jesus, God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. So Jesus fulfills the promise of God's side of the story. God becomes known to us through the person of Jesus. This is like the pinnacle moment for Jesus or for God over all of creation. He, the, the one moment that he has been exactly where he wants to be is, is that moment when he, is, when he is born of the Virgin Mary and he exists as a human. He's like, yes, this is what I've been longing for. This has been my desire for ridiculous long. This is my dream to be with human. And furthermore, it becomes more realized 
the more people start to say, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. When people start to put two and two together, he goes, okay, you're getting it. You're getting it. Now, he also says in Mark, you see this a lot, Jesus goes, oh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody yet. Because what they were seeing was you were, they were seeing Messiah. They were seeing a person who was going to establish God's kingdom, but they weren't yet seeing the divine in Jesus. They didn't yet see that Jesus was actually God until after he rose again from the dead. That's when they put two and two together. That's when they started going, God has actually visited to us in person. And they start to say, wow, God has been here. God is here. The resurrection is where, is where all of the New Testament writers, they, they hang everything on the resurrection. They're like, this is Jesus, God with us. He's actually right here. And so the greatest victory of God is seen in the death and resurrection of Jesus as Jesus walks among the people and then he, he calls out to them. This is really an interesting verse here. When we think about, you know, if, if the story of God is about God's, what God has been doing to connect with humanity, it really puts this passage into, into perspective. Here is God who loves his creation, who loves every element of his creation, and he has developed an entire culture around, around the person or around an expectation of, of a Messiah. He's, he's developed everything so that he could come and be with his people, and then his people don't get it. And he says in Matthew 23, 37, he says, uh, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you weren't willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What you hear here is Jesus, God with us, his heart is breaking, saying, I have done everything I can do to be with you, to just gather you and to make it so that everything is right. I am doing everything I can and yet you are not willing. You, you push back. And, and, you, and you don't believe. And you find yourself resisting my very plan and my very urge, which is to just be with you. And so Jesus, in a moment of complete heart-wrenching, heart-broken, cries out and laments about Jerusalem, the center of the people that he is called to his own. And he says, he says, my heart is for you. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And so that's, you know, when we understand Jesus' woes, his cries to the people through the lens of God just wants to be with us and he's doing everything he can, then we can start to understand the heart of God. We can start to understand that God actually loves us. And so when Jesus rises from the dead, he is recognized that he is God. And people are able to, in retrospect, go, 
well, if Jesus was God, then what does that mean? Why did he come? What is what has he done? What has this changed? And so Jesus is God with us, come to save us, or come to show us God's love. Here's the thing about showing love. When we show love, we actually, um, we have to experience the grief with somebody. We all carry grief and we all carry joys. We actually have to sit in their grief with them and that's okay. And we also have to celebrate with them and that's okay. We have to be with them. And so Jesus shows us God's love and, and he spends time with them. And he shows us finally and succinctly that God is love. Here's the deal. If God was not love, he would have actually destroyed humanity by now. I'm not sure if you've ever played the game where you're just God and you're like, well, if I was God, I would just fix all this stuff. And then you actually take that through to the logical conclusion and you're like, well, the way to fix that would be, yeah, this isn't working. Like, really? If, if you are not compelled and motivated by love, then you would have looked at where humanity is right now and just been like, and we're done. We're done because I'm not compelled by love, and I don't actually care, and that's a ton of problems. And God would have just hit the red button and just been like, done. So the fact that God has not blown up culture and, and destroyed us tells me that God is benevolent and loving. Plain and simple. So now I go, okay, so let's trace that back. Now I see Jesus, whose heart is breaking, who is resurrected from the dead. Okay, I get it. He is showing us love. I get it. Okay, good. So, he also came to save us from sin. It's the presence of God that assures us that God has forgiven sin, and it's understood by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. There's a lot there that's going on, but... But the whole culture was set up to understand that God would forgive sins when X, Y, and Z was done in the correct order. And so when God becomes human, he's like, I'm going to plant their expectation and their story into my story so that they can recognize through the death and resurrection that I indeed have forgiven their sin. So that they have a consistent narrative that is both, that, that continues on, it's got continuity, that carries all the way through the entire revelation of God, that we are one story. That there's no separation between, between this, this one way and then another way. It's, it's that Jesus fulfills everything. So when Jesus dies on the cross, it is understood that, oh, God is forgiving sins. I can see it because of the sacrifice. In reality, God's presence says, here I am. I forgive your sins. Let me show you. Let me show you. I will die on a cross and I will rise again. I forgive your sins. And so Jesus forgives sins on the cross. God came to, to forgive us, save us from our sin. He also came to save us from our sin in the sense that um, I got this email today and I don't have time to put it on, but it was in Bradford today. Bradford today had this picture um, of, of this glorious 
world. It was a globe in a hand. And on the left side of the picture is, is this beautiful, environmentalist, gorgeous picture. And on the other side, on the right side, the world is split in half. And on the right side is the globe all like red and fiery and then like this desolate land sitting behind it. And it was this stark contrast between beauty and, and fire. And it was, a, it was an article on global warming. And I was like, this really looks like a Jesus tract from the 80s. And I, I was surprised at how close it looked to the idea of glorious heaven and fire burning hell. And I was like, what is going on here? Have we come to a point where we actually believe that we can create our own heaven or create our own hell? And in a way, I think culture's right there. I think culture's right there. And so Jesus came to save us from, from our sin. Evil is around us all over the place, and it is pulling us towards chaos. And Jesus is like, nope, I can save you from that. Jesus is the one who can deliver the picture of heaven. And I trust him for that. And so Jesus came to save us from our sin. I was totally shocked at the Bradford Today thing today. He also came to set up God's kingdom. Okay, this is another huge one, totally tied to David. So King David is a loyal, faithful king. God has established Israel, and, and David wants to build a house for God, and then God says, I'll build you a house. But he's, playing a, he's, he's doing a, a play on words where a house is also a dynasty, and he says, I'm going to make sure that somebody is going to sit on your throne forever. There will be a ruler forever. And then all of a sudden, this is the promise. This is the idea that Israel will never fall. It's called Zionism. And then Israel falls and they hold on to the promise and say, what does it mean? What does the promise of God mean? And the expectation is that God is going to restore the dynasty of Israel. All right, so I got to take you to Jeremiah 23, 1 to 6. It says, woe to the shepherd who... Uh, who destroys and scatters the sheep my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the sheep who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended them. Behold, I will attend for you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather a remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them. I will bring them back to their fold. They will be fruitful and multiply, and I will set a shepherd's over them who will care for them and no fear and they will fear no more nor be dismayed if anything be missing declares the lord behold the days are coming declares the lord that i will raise up for david a king a righteous branch and he will reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land in his days judah will be saved and israel will dwell securely and in the name by which he is called it's the lord of our righteousness so here we have a promise in the darkest time for Israel. We have a promise that says God is going to come and set up his kingdom. Jesus came to set up his kingdom. And so Jesus redefined the expectation that I just read in that it wasn't about the physical land of, of Israel, but it was about all nations. It was about God delivering on the heaven that he promised. God delivering on the release from, from the brokenness and the evil that we swim in every single day. And God goes, I will remove that and I'm going to set it straight. So Jesus came to set up God's kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God, if, if you guys look around right now, if you think about Bradford, if you think about our world, 
in the larger context, it doesn't take a genius to recognize the kingdom of God has not yet fully come. It's not yet revealed. The purpose of the church, one of the biggest purposes of the church is to foreshadow the fulfillment of God's promises, is to foreshadow what it looks like when God's kingdom is here. We work and push against the darkness. We work together, pushing against the darkness and to point to the great light that says Jesus is actually the only one that can deliver on this. And so that's what we do. That's what we're doing. And so we wait for Jesus to return, but while we wait, we push against the darkness with the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, uh, and, and continually, intentionally working together. Jesus came to shut down religion. So here's the question from last week. What about all our practices in church baptism, like communion, worship? How are these practices different from those of other religions? Or how are they, how are they you know, like not a part of a religion? Okay, so the deal is here. We have actions that we do that we don't think, oh, well, these actions are what bring us closer to God. Because they don't. They actually remind us of the fact that God is with us. And we put them in our day-to-day life as a reminder, as this constant way that we structure our lives because it's too easy to forget the presence of God. It's too easy to walk around the world, to be caught up in the despair of the world, to be caught up in the, in the, in the goodness of the world, to be caught up in, in the naturalism of the world. And to forget that God is still working. And so we gather and we do communion and we do baptisms to steal our hearts towards the vision of which is promised but not yet fully here. And so this is not a striving to be like, oh, I just need to get closer to God, better to God. I'm just if, if I get to church um, 40 weeks of the year, then, then surely I'm good enough. No, no. But the reason I come to church is actually because when I come to church, I am encouraged and I am once again affirmed that, yep, God's still working. God's still doing it and it's God's work. And I praise him and I worship him and I thank him because God hasn't given up on us yet. And that to me is the most encouraging thing in the world that God has not given up in us yet. So God comes to shut down religion. He comes to shut down the human construct that we try to use to connect with people and, and, and to shut down the abuses of religion as well, where, where people are like, oh, well, you have to do this and this and this, otherwise, you know, you're not good enough. And, and so he shuts down the abuses of religion and goes, no, it's not about power or who's in control because I'm in control. I'm the one in power. It's not about, you know, the, 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 the lead pastor of a church. That person isn't in power. That person is meant to point simply to my work. And so that's where he shuts down religion. So um, hopefully I've been able to answer that. So we can share in God's life. The entire purpose of the church, as I've been saying, is for us to come together to share in God's life here and now. And so it anticipates the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. It anticipates that God is going to wrap it all up that he's going to remove the evil from the world, that he is going to um, show us his love and establish that kingdom that he promised to David that would be eternal kingdom and to invite us into it. Through it, we're healed. At church, we rest. We recover. We find hope for the future. 
We find our resiliency in the hope that God is active through the person of Jesus in our life. And our mission, as I mentioned, is to push against the darkness that plagues humanity, the evils and the brokenness that tear us down, both internally among us and externally in the world. And so this is our mission. We don't organize as a people who are trying to get to God, but we're a people who love and want to see healing and hope brought to humanity. And so it's so important that we understand that this is our gospel. This is what the Bible teaches, that, that, he, that Jesus is God with us, come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, and shut down religion so we can share in God's life. I have one text message that has come in, and so we'll just put that on the screen. Showing love means having compassion. Listening leads to understanding. Jesus cared for everybody, regardless of their situation. And that's exactly it. So when we understand that that is our role, that is our step in culture, we start to get who God is. And so I'm going to invite Pastor Devin to come and, and we get to worship one more time in song. This God who has done so much. And so, um, yeah, I just really, God has done so much and his promises are so good. So today as we, as we end in song, I just want to encourage you to worship this God who has been at work for the past however many thousand years humanity's been around. And, and he has revealed himself to us, and he is with us. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in your midst. And so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to just pray. God, give us, give us eyes to see your activity. Give us ears to hear your word. Allow our hands to push against the darkness that exists in this world, not that we will establish your kingdom by our own works, but in our activity... We can help show other people your activity. So God, use us. Use us as vessels. Use us as people who continue the story of God. In Jesus' name.